Welcome to another episode of Running for the Roses. Uh, as we have hit the third week in January, the uh, the quote unquote off season is uh, starting uh, to trickle in here uh, in the world of college football. I'm Ryan Baffa Lucas, joined by Lucas Rody. Lucas, we're kind of back to our normal off season schedule here, one one or two pods a month. Um, how are you, my friend? And how's life in how's life in Nashville? It's good. Uh, it snowed this morning, so uh, it was very uh, nice walking the dogs and what was kind of like a winter wonderland. Um, but uh, no, it's been good. It's been weird uh, Justine been so used to doing this uh, every week. And then it's like, oh yeah, we have to record this week. It's weird uh, kind of skipping right. there and, and stuff like that. But uh, luckily, uh, college football, kind of like the NFL now, gives you something to talk about just about Every week, there's something new uh, to discuss. It really does. I mean, I think January is still kind of the busy month. The 2023 recruiting class still uh, a little bit to go. Um, you're seeing a lot of assistant changes. We'll we'll get to Alabama having an uh, an open OC job as well as Michigan here shortly, and and some coaching stuff still trickling in. Um, and then really February, some teams start spring practice. You've got a good amount of teams that will start spring ball towards the end of next month. And obviously March and April, the big kind of spring ball months as well. So uh, Lucas and I are going to finish up our conference season in reviews. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk Big 12 and uh, SEC. And before that, we'll get to a, a little bit of news and notes here. Um, Lucas, I wanted to start kind of what uh, to where we left off a little bit on our last pod with Jim Harbaugh. Uh, Jim Harbaugh has had his yearly flirtation with uh, the NFL and uh, a little bit like what happened last year. He uh, the uh, the graphics have been made, you know, the the president quote graphic and then the Jim Harbaugh committing to the school and how excited they are for the future. The vibes in Michigan are are great. Jim Harbaugh spurning the NFL to go back to his alma mater again. Uh, Lucas, we've seen this two years in a row. It's kind of the same story. He is he is returning to Michigan for at least another year. Uh, your your thoughts on this version of the uh, of the Jim Harbaugh saga? Yeah, it felt very similar to last year uh, on the Jim Harbaugh uh, saga. Except I actually thought he was more. I thought he was actually going to go more so this year. It felt like the way the reports were going, that it didn't really matter what job it was. If an NFL team wanted him, he was going to take it, which I didn't really understand just because I thought his whole idea of getting to Michigan was to kind of get them in the position they are now. And now I feel like this is where you want to stay at Michigan. You've gotten closer to a national title each year, but no, I just think it's something we're just going to be doing probably for as long as he's still at Michigan. Probably at this time, January, February, around signing day. I mean, we forget last year on signing day in February, he was interviewing with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, yeah. which was just kind of an odd time. So I just think it's something we're going to do, but it's just odd because I don't know what Harbaugh wants. If he truly wants to be in the NFL, does he just want to continue doing this to up his pay each year uh, for Michigan until he's one of the top, if not the top paid head coach in college football. Um, I don't really know. And I think if you're a Michigan fan, you'll take it. Cause it's like, if he keeps winning big 10 titles, beating Ohio state, I don't think you care, but at some point I just think it's just, it's just <laughs> a little bit old. And I yeah. think that's going to wear on you on the, rec- like other schools are going to recruit against this now every year. 
they're going to tell them, hey, you don't know if Harbaugh is going to be there on a year-to-year basis. Well, I mean, think about if 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 Luke Fickle took Wisconsin to the playoff back-to-back years, won the Big Ten, and he's just interviewing for NFL jobs, it would feel weird. I mean, it's just like you, you really don't see this from any other coach. I mean, Kirby Smart's not out here interviewing for jobs after winning the national title. Obviously, Nick Saban, Brian Kelly, you know, Ryan Day even. You just it's 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 a very strange cycle and I, I don't know what he wants. I, I think it's a good point you bring up of like what is does he want to win a Super Bowl? Does he want to compete at the highest level? Is he tired of NIL? Is he tired of the way college football is trending? Like who knows? He might just want to get the attention, get more money from Michigan, keep his name in the in the papers and on the on the two four seven boards for another couple months. Like I don't know. It's a very strange. I like you thought that this was it. I thought, all right, he's mm-hmm. he he looked last year and either didn't find the right fit for him or wasn't offered any job. This year he's he's going to go. It's maybe it's Denver, maybe it's Indianapolis. You know, the report from Bruce Feldman basically said he's gone if he's offered and apparently he wasn't offered. I also have found it strange that like the first head coaching vacancy in the NFL was filled today from Carolina. It's been kind of a weird NFL coaching cycle yeah. as well. Maybe he's looking for quote better NFL jobs, right? Maybe he's waiting for like a I don't know, Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers, Baltimore, like whatever, like a more prestigious quote unquote franchise. Because uh, at this point, I don't know what he wants because it's it's because you're right. At this point, it's going to start being an issue, right? Like other mm-hmm. schools in the, in the across the country will use this against Michigan, not only in high school recruiting, but with the transfer portal. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. Michigan's got a lot of talented players and a lot of coaches in December are going to be like, hey, uh, Harbaugh is interested in the NFL again. Maybe you should come here. So I find the whole situation fascinating. And if, if this happens again, it's 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 going to be very, very maddening to me. Well, it seemed like last year when this had happened and then he made his announcement he was coming back, it very much sounded like that was his one. He wanted to dip his toe in the waters in the NFL one more time. And then that was it. He's like, I'm all in at Michigan. If I can't win a Super Bowl, winning a national championship is the next best thing. And then they get even closer to a national title, and then he's still dipping it. Like I said, I think this is just going to be a yearly thing. And maybe Michigan is okay with it. I I would just think at some point, if I'm an AD, even with the success you might be having, it's got to wear on you at the same time that you're just kind of probably second fiddle to him and what his overall dream is, where you know – you're Michigan, you can bring in just about anybody to, to kind of fill that role. But hey, if I'm Michigan, I'm thrilled you're at least getting him for another year because I think they're going to be pretty damn good uh, yeah. again this season and probably the favorites uh, to win the Big Ten. But we'll get to that in uh, in, uh, in during the summer when we uh, do our 2023 uh, uh, preview, which is right. only, you know, six months away probably. Right around the corner, <laughs> baby. Right around <laughs> the corner. <laughs> Um, I'm already starting my notes because that took quite some time uh, last year. <laughs> I need the Phil Steele book to come out in like March, not June or June. Oh, man. I've, it's so funny you're saying that. I, I've already been strategizing in my head how to do these conference previews because luckily, I shouldn't say luckily, but I was unemployed when we were doing those. So I had a lot of time on my hands yeah. to get those now i'm like yeah i probably i don't think my work is gonna or my current job is gonna like it if i'm spending 20 hours a week on a on a conference preview. It's full-time job man. it's a full-time it job it is um 
one other kind of news item I wanted to get to was uh, Bill O'Brien leaving the Alabama Crimson Tide uh, for the offensive coordinator job with the New England Patriots. He kind of rejoins Bill Belichick and that staff where he was an offensive coordinator before his time at Penn State and the early part of last decade. Um, I don't think Alabama fans are too uh, sad to see him go. Uh, I believe Alabama also fired their D.C. as well. Oh, no, he left to go to Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. Uh, Golding left to go to Ole Miss, which is essentially like, hey, you should look for other work, basically. Like, you don't leave Alabama to go to Ole Miss unless you're pushed gently out the door. So Nick Saban will have to replace two coordinators heading into 2023. Let's focus on Bill O'Brien here. I've I've got a couple articles up here some potential candidates to replace Bill O'Brien. A couple names have popped up in a couple different articles I, I I was reading today. Greg Roman, former Baltimore offensive coordinator. He was just let go from the Ravens. Jeff Levy, current Oklahoma offensive coordinator. Joe Brady, of course, uh, with that magical LSU team as their passing coordinator uh, in 2019. He's now the Buffalo Bills quarterback coach. Cliff Kingsbury, uh, former Cardinals coach. I think there's a lot of people that – are drawing some parallels with like Lane Kiffin and Bill O'Brien, kind of the Nick Saban, you know, rehabilitation center. Dan Mullen was on this list earlier on in the process. He has since come out and said he will not take that job. Um, Lucas, your thoughts on Alabama losing Bill O'Brien and some of the potential candidates to uh, replace him. Yeah, not shocking. I mean, for as good as Bryce Young was this season, he largely carried that Alabama offense. Uh, there was a definite, uh, there was a definite uh, decline. I felt like just in the overall explosiveness of that team, and like you mentioned, this was probably one of those scenarios where Nick is probably nudging both of his coordinators up the door, being like, "Hey, I'm not going to fire you, but I would highly encourage you to probably look for for other opportunities." I also don't think it was a secret that I think Bill O'Brien was looking to get back in the NFL as well. Uh, so I think it's a, I think it works out for, for them. You know, he gets to go back with Bill Belichick where he had a lot of success as his offensive coordinator back in 2011. And he gets to work with a really good young quarterback and Mac Jones, who I think needs kind of a quarterback guru. You look at the quarterbacks that Bill O'Brien dealt with in the NFL. I don't think, I know we like to crap on him for his, his end at the Texans, but I mean, he led them to like five straight playoff appearances and now look at what that franchise has done since they fired him. Right. So I think it'll be, it'll work out for both sides. And I think for, for Nick Saban, I think it's really interesting. Does he go with a guy that maybe he's more familiar with that he has a previous relationship with, um, or does he go outside the box and kind of, kind of shock everyone? Like you mentioned, like maybe he gets a, a Cliff Kingsbury. It'd be interesting to see Alabama do some variation of the air raid, but uh, but no, I think it's we've seen this with Alabama before. Um, this I think this is like the second time in like the past four years where he's having to replace um, both coordinators on both sides of the, of the ball. So I think it's intriguing for the facts you mentioned. It's a rehab position for a lot of maybe former ex head coaches um, or. Does he go outside the box? Maybe gets a young up and comer um, who kind of cuts his teeth under Saban before he gets a head coaching job or something like that. Yeah, the name. So I don't think Cliff Kingsbury. From everything that I've read about Cliff, he does not want to go back to college. He has no interest in recruiting. 
Um, and I, I think more likely he ends up on like Sean McVay's staff in LA as like a analyst or special assistant or, you know, whatever. Now Todd Munkin from Georgia doesn't do a lot of recruiting anyway. So sometimes schools can kind of work around it. Um, I would not expect Cliff there. Uh, the guy that really intrigues me the most is Joe Brady, who mm-hmm. was the hot shot of hot shot offensive minds during that 2019 LSU run. He goes with Matt rule of the Carolina Panthers fired as their offensive coordinator midway through the 2021 NFL season Uh, latches on with Buffalo this year, does a good job with Josh Allen. I don't know how much of that is Joe Brady kind of bringing new stuff to the table or just Josh Allen being Josh Allen, but um, he's 33. He's had a lot of success in college. I think that would be a really interesting hire for Nick Saban, but you know, we have seen Nick Saban kind of go with an older, more experienced OC the last handful of years, right? I mean, I believe the last three have been Bill O'Brien, Steve Sarkeesian, and Lane Kiffin. So, uh, Mike Mike Loxley was Mike Loxley. Um, so like, you know, you've got four former head coaches now going on to be, you know, head coaches. So if, if you look at that mold, Dan Mullen would have made a lot of sense. Um, Greg Roman, the former Baltimore offensive coordinator, I think also makes some sense. Um, Jeff Lebby from Oklahoma, I think is interesting as well. He was the former Baylor offensive coordinator that big time year when they went to the Sugar Bowl two years ago. So, uh, it'll be interesting. Um, Alabama faces a very intriguing 2023, I think as we'll get to a little bit later in the, in the pod. Yeah. And, uh, another name, um, that I just saw up here on, on this list that I'm looking at, that's kind of interesting too. I don't know if he would have interest in going back to college, but Byron Leftwich who just got let go from uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, longtime quarterback in the NFL and then working under Bruce Arians. That offense kind of was a train wreck this year, so I don't know if that would excite a ton of Bama fans. But, no, I think it, it's it's exciting on one part because I think this is a big hire for Nick Saban. And that we've kind of seen maybe some leakiness and what has been um, – just a well-oiled machine uh, the last, you know, 15 years. Um, and, uh, you know, it's a big hire because I think some people think, not that Alabama is going to, you know, go six and six, but that they could be kind of on the on the downtrend as we've seen Georgia ascend as the uh, the prime uh, program in the SEC. Yeah. Well, we'll get to the SEC here uh, at the end of the show. I think we'll do Big 12 here first, but uh, SEC West, plenty of intriguing storylines heading into next uh, season. All right, Lucas and I are going to do our Big 12 season in review. Uh, go back to our last couple episodes. We broke down the Pac-12, ACC, and the Big 10. Uh, we have four superlative categories and then some bouncing around off of that. Biggest positive surprise of the 2022 season, biggest disappointment, best coaching job, and uh, 2023 team you're kind of most interested in following during the off season. So, uh, Lucas, let's start positive. Um it's a couple of probably obvious answers for biggest surprise team heading in 2020 or in 2022, including one that made a kind of miracle run to the college football championship game. Mm-hmm. I'll let you go first. Your uh, biggest surprise <laughs> team. Uh, they might not be a surprise though for you. You you picked TCU to go to the Big 12 championship Ooh. game, but anyway, biggest surprise team for you. Yeah, I mean, I I did, and I will I will wear that for the rest of the time we're recording this pod that I got one of my uh, picks right that I kind of went on a a limb with. That being said, I thought they would be competitive in the Big 12. Did not think that they would be playing for 
for the national title. But yeah, I think TCU is the obvious winner for um, in that category, just for you know what you stated. They went to the national title first year under a new head coach and Sonny Dykes. Um, and just the way they kind of went about, you know, they won some extremely close games. When you look at against Baylor, they had to come back against Kansas State. They had to win kind of a, a nail biter against uh, against Texas. Um, but um, I think just if you're a TCU fan, you're extremely excited for what the future holds. But they're they're going to have to replace a lot heading into next year. You know, Max Duggan. Uh, I believe Kendra Miller, their leading rusher, Quentin Johnston, who's probably going to be a first-round pick at wide receiver, I believe are all gone uh, going into next year. So it's going to be a reloading and what's going to be a, a really weird Big 12 because they're going to be 14 teams for a couple of years until uh, Texas and OU loses. Um, but I think a surprise there. But obviously TC being the, the, the correct answer, I think – Another one would be the other team that played for uh, the Big 12 title, and that was uh, Kansas State. I think a lot of people had them as maybe a sleeper coming into this year. Um, but they were excellent. Obviously winning the, the Big 12 title um, with their backup quarterback, Adrian Martinez, gets hurt halfway through the year. Um, and Will Howard was really, really good. Deuce Vaughn was fantastic uh, once again, and they were pretty darn good defensively. Um, so I think Chris Kleiman continues to elevate, um, that program. So I think those two are the ones that jump out. How about you? Are those kind of your same or? Yeah, I was going to touch on Kansas state. I mean, I would not have pegged Kansas state among my top four conference champion like candidates. I would have put them probably behind Texas, Oklahoma, Mm -hmm. Oklahoma state and Baylor. And for them to win the Big 12, uh, really, really impressive. And to do it, I mean, we talked about getting Adrian Martinez and what could he do there. It ended up being Will Howard. You know, Will Howard comes in kind of midway through the season. After Adrian Martinez gets injured, he completes 60% of his passes, 15 touchdowns, four interceptions. Deuce Vaughn was awesome, over 1,500 rushing yards, um, nine touchdowns. Um, Kansas State, really impressive. Um you know, they went uh, nine and three in the regular season, beat TCU in the uh, Big 12 championship game there in uh, in, in, in Arlington. And, um, super impressive. When we, I think Oklahoma and Texas and Oklahoma State, and they get a lot of the recognition, but Kansas State, just one of the more solid programs. Um, kind of like a Utah, kind of like a Iowa or like Wisconsin, a team that doesn't get a lot of pub. Mm-hmm. They don't put a ton of guys in the NFL, but just a solidly well-coached well-run organization that Chris Kleiman has. So I was going to touch on them. Listen, the answer is clearly TCU. 5-7 and seven, 2021, 12-0 uh, regular season 2022, Big 12 regular season champions, playoff win, conference, you know, national championship game appearance, final score notwithstanding. I mean, what Sonny Dykes did with that program uh, in year one was, was really awesome. So um any more kind of surprising teams you know kansas is, is one that i'll mention they start six and oh right and then it, it's it's tough because uh they had so much momentum in the early part of the season um you know wins over duke uh you know you get the big win over um gosh who, who i'm 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 absolutely blanking on who they uh they beat early in the season there but um just, just really a, a solid first six games for Kansas, and then the uh, the wheels kind of fell off, right? West Virginia, Houston, and Duke, uh, and uh, and and Iowa State. So, 
this was a team that started five and zero, ended up finishing six and six, and then lost their bowl game. So tough end of the season, but a lot of excitement in in Lawrence for uh, Lance Leipold's team, and and I think a team that will be a kind of a consistent bowl team for the uh, the next couple of years. Yeah, and, and to and to add on um, to maybe another team like you mentioned there with Kansas uh, that took a really good step forward. I think Texas Tech really yeah. had a nice year under uh, first year head coach Joey McGuire. Um, you know, they started off against wins against Houston and Texas. Then they lose four out of their next five, uh, but then win four in a row to end the season, including wins over Oklahoma. And then they absolutely crushed Ole Miss um, in their bowl game. And I think, um, you know, Joey McGuire, I think going into the season, we both really liked that hire. We liked what he did with the staff, with Zach Keekley coming in from Western Kentucky as their offensive coordinator. And we thought they could at least be be pretty fun. And um, I know he's making some moves on the recruiting trail down there in Texas. So I think they're also a team really, I think a really, really good first year for them. Um, and uh, I think if they can continue to build, I think they could potentially have a really good outlet in the new big 12 when, when Texas and Oklahoma um, do head out of there. Yeah. Uh, biggest disappointment for me, I'm going to say Oklahoma. Very strange to see Oklahoma six and six. Uh, they finished the year six and seven, eight. A cheese it bowl loss to uh, Florida State, a game they were that they were competitive in. But Oklahoma starts three and zero, three blowout wins, including one at Nebraska, um, and the wheels fell off kind of quickly. Uh, this was a team that really struggled in conference. They were three and six in conference. They finished behind, you know, they finished sixth in tied for sixth in the Big Twelve. You lost forty nine zero to Texas in the Red River game. Um, you lost to TCU. You gave up. I mean, they gave up forty-one to Kansas State, fifty-five TCU, forty-nine Texas. They gave up thirty-eight to Baylor, and fifty-one to Texas Tech. I mean, this was a team that really struggled to get stops. Dylan Gabriel was, you know, pretty good for them. Threw for over thirty-one hundred yards. Eric Gray ran for over thirteen hundred, but they just couldn't get stops. And it's interesting a team that hired the Clemson defensive coordinator. Um, they struggled mightily and. The, you know, the, the, the Big 12, I think, is one of the premier offensive conferences in the league. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different things that these programs do, whether it's Lance Leipold at Kansas, Joy McGuire at, at Texas Tech, Sonny Dykes, you know, with, with Garrett Riley there, and obviously Steve Sarkeesian. Bit of an adjustment for Brent Venables to um, adjust to the Big 12. But it was, I mean, I think I had Oklahoma, Oklahoma State in my – Big 12 championship game in the preseason and to see Oklahoma go three and six in the league and finish under 500 is pretty shocking for one of the more kind of consistent programs the last handful of years. Yeah. I think it was their worst year since like 99 or 98 um, when it comes to record wise. And um, yeah, they were extremely disappointing. I I mean, Brent Venables, I'm just intrigued to see what the expectations are for this year and what categorizes them as a good season. Cause Talent-wise, I mean, they, they're bringing in, I believe, like a top five or ten recruiting class. They recruited really well, including Jackson Arnold, who some people think yeah. is the best quarterback prospect in the class. Yeah, and I know they returned. I believe Dylan Gabriel is coming back um, for uh, to use up his last year of eligibility. Um, so expectations should be high. I think you kind of get a one-year bump just with all the changes that had happened at Oklahoma. I mean, half their roster – transferred out when Brett Fittables took over. They had to replace holes with a lot of transfers. So um, I think they'll be patient there, but I think they got to see some progress, especially as you mentioned on the defensive side of the ball where he is an expert 
I'm also going to go with um, kind of a disappointing team. I'm going to stay in the state of Texas. I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. Um, you mentioned you had Oklahoma State in the Big 12 championship game. This was yeah, a team. <laughs> this was a team a year ago uh, was like one yard away from not only winning the Big 12, but potentially getting into the college football playoff. And they were returning just about everybody. Um, uh, you know, Spencer Sanders, they did lose a lot on their defense. They brought in, you know, defensive coordinator Derek Mason um, to kind of help fill some holes there. And this is a team that started five and one, almost started six and zero. Oh. They almost knocked off TCU earlier in the year. That was a double overtime game that they lost by three points. But then they followed that up with a game against Texas, and it looked like Oklahoma State might be the favorite, them and TCU, and they ended up losing five out of their last six. They did deal with just a boatload of injuries including at the quarterback position um, and also on the defensive side of the ball. So that did take a, uh, an impact. They get crushed by even Oklahoma and Bedlam. But I think just overall, the state of that program, it looked like they were kind of riding the ship the season before. But I think I was telling you this. I was watching their bowl game when they were playing against Wisconsin. Mike Gundy didn't look like he gave two cares whatsoever Um in that game what it just looked like he was there he's like we're playing this game let's just end it and get on the bus back home not only that spencer sanders ends up transferring out mason cobb their best defensive player ends up deciding to transfer out their leading rusher dominic richardson's transferring out they had i think three other top four receivers decided to transfer out and then Derek mason their defensive coordinator just decides he wants to take a year off of coaching um yeah so I, I just don't know where that program is and, you know, if Mike Gundy really has a great hold or if, you know, this is a place that people want to want to play anymore. So intrigued to see where they go, but I think definitely a, a very, very disappointing for Oklahoma State, especially considering how it started out. Yeah, I'll also throw in Baylor just because I think Baylor was a preseason top 12, mm-hmm. top 15 team coming off of a Big 12 championship. Um, I mean, literally, they in David Randa's second year, they win the Big 12. And you lose yeah. Jeff Levy to um, uh, to Oklahoma. And they ended up finishing 6-7 and seven, uh, this year as well, a loss in the bowl game. Uh, Iowa State at 4-8, and 1-8 eight, eight in conference. I know Iowa State lost a lot. They lost Brock Purdy, who's obviously doing some great things in the NFL. They lost Brees Hall, who was doing really well for the Jets before he got a torn ACL. I know they lost a lot off of that team, but I mean, Matt Campbell was a guy that was linked to every major job that mm-hmm. came open. Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, NFL jobs. I mean, he had interviewed for like the Jets and the Lions and, and different NFL jobs. And very strange to see him bottom out like that. Uh, a one and eight, they finished last in the Big 12. And it will be interesting to see where Iowa State goes. Uh, a lot of interesting, like the Big 12 is, is just the conference of chaos. I mean, it, it truly is every year, and it's especially like Oklahoma State and Texas kind of not being the elite that they had been in various points, right? Texas in the early part of the 2000s, and then Oklahoma basically all of last decade. It's been wide open. I mean, Baylor mm-hmm. wins it last year. Um, you had 
Uh, obviously, Kansas State played TCU for the championship this year. So it's just a conference of chaos. So um, for best coaching jobs, you, are we just going to say Sonny Dykes, right? Yes. I mean, it feels like it has to be Sonny Dykes, right? Yeah. We can just kind of move on. You're not going um, with uh, Sar? Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll get to Sark here in my most intriguing <laughs> teams. But I definitely listen. I mean, Sonny Dykes, Chris Kleiman, and Joy yeah. McGuire, I think obviously are like the three guys that we've kind of touched on them um, as well. The three guys that really did the best job. Um, this year for sure. And as we move into teams, I mean, we haven't talked about Texas, right? We've been talking Big 12 for about 15 minutes. We haven't mentioned Texas. Eight and four regular season. Some ups and some downs, right? Um, I think overall you would say maybe a little disappointing um, considering the hype around Quinn Ewers and having Bijan Robinson and Xavier Worthy. And um, they lose their bowl game to, I think it was Washington. Yeah. Uh, so they, they finish eight and five. And I mean, what is, what are, what are expectations for Texas in year three? I mean, if you're Texas and you see Sonny Dykes taking TCU to the, to the national championship game in year one, winning the big, you know, winning the big 12 regular season, going undefeated, beating you in Austin. I just don't know, like what a Sark, I, I hate to, turn the conversation like this, but like, what does Sark have to do to keep his job? If they go eight and four next year, I don't think Sark's there anymore. Right. Mm-mm. I mean, they fired Tom Herman went seven and three during the COVID year and they were a top 25 team and won their bowl yeah. game like easily. Um, so, I mean, I was talking with a buddy of mine who is a huge Longhorns fan and he thinks they at least have to finish probably top two or three in, in the big 12 next year for him to keep his job, especially like we keep talking about when, you know, the, the big thing is how are you sitting in 2025 or is it 2024 that it happens when they go to the sec, you need to be going in with some momentum, right? And you need to know if your current head coach is the right guy to lead you in there. And with the way they've recruited, um, you know, we, we don't even know is Arch Manning going to be the starting quarterback. Is it still going to be Quinn Ewers? Um, in that quarterback or uh, in that starting role. So yeah, I think, I think you at least got to go nine and three um, and put yourself in a position to be in the big 12 championship game. I think that's just the natural progression. You had a rough year, year one, but got to a bowl eight and four. And now I think it's like, you have to compete for a big 12 championship next year. If not, yeah, I think. And yeah. well, and the quarterback thing is going to be fascinating. Um, Arch Manning is there on campus. Now he will go through spring ball. And I mean, what do I don't know what you do there if you're Steve Sarkeesian. I mean, because Quinn Ewers, I don't think is the surefire leave for the 2024 NFL draft guy that maybe people yeah. thought he might be. Like you're seeing Drake May, Caleb Williams kind of getting that attention. And certainly Ewers is super talented, but Ewers, I don't think lit the world on fire. Like I think Quinn Ewers is probably like Drake May is what people thought Quinn Ewers probably was going to be. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Or Caleb Williams. But we saw it a little bit in, in Caleb's freshman year at Oklahoma. So, I mean, is Arch Manning going to sit for a year, for two? I mean, it. this feels like Quinn Ewers goes into next year getting the job and is kind of looking over his shoulder and maybe is almost like a Caleb Williams, Spencer Rattler situation. Right. I think it's mm-hmm. a little maybe could be some comparable to that, which is just not going to be a good situation. For Texas. <laughs> it's just not. And like the issues at Texas have been the same issues. The last three coaches, they recruit really well, but they're undisciplined. They don't, they're not tough. They're not physical. 
Um, they make dumb mistakes. They turn the ball over. They can't finish games. It's And that's a product of coaching and the players you're bringing in. It could look really good in December and February when you're up in the top five of the rankings. But when you're losing to TCU and you're losing to Oklahoma State and you're losing to teams that just supposedly have much less talent than you, it's that's on coaching. And so I do think Sark probably needs to win 10 games and finish top mm-hmm. two or three. Like Sark probably needs to make the Big 12 championship game, in, mm-hmm. in my opinion, to, to see a year four. No, I agree. I, they can't have what happened this year. <laughs> like the highlight of their season can't be a close loss to Alabama next year again, like it was this year. Um, cause I do think like what's the most memorable part of Texas season this year was, Oh, well they almost beat Alabama. Almost beat Alabama. It, that can't be the case next year. Yeah. Um, not saying they need to beat Alabama. I'm just saying that can't be the most memorable part of your season. Your Texas, your most memorable season shouldn't be a loss. I think the other really interesting storyline for me is like which of these teams that finished under 500, Baylor, Oklahoma, Iowa State, rebounds the best in 2023. Um, It's a big year, too, for Brent Venables. I mean, you can chalk year one up to a lot of transfers. You lost your top two quarterbacks. A lot of, you know, you had to replace a lot. Um, And I think that was more of kind of a blip in the radar than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, you probably got to win eight or nine games next year. You you kind of got to show some. You got to got to show some promise. I don't think you can go eight and four, or seven and five. I mean, I think you can. I don't. Oklahoma seems pretty patient. Like I, I don't know if Oklahoma is going to be calling for Brent Venables' head. But I mean, which of those three does Iowa State get back on track and and are they continue to be kind of frisky in the in the in the Big Twelve? And I think same thing with Baylor. Can 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 Baylor vault themselves into the upper echelon and? Like you mentioned a couple of a couple of minutes ago, oh by the way, you're getting four new teams in, into this league, right? You're getting uh, you're getting Cincinnati, you're getting Houston. Uh, who who are the other teams? I, I I'm forgetting. Uh, you're getting uh, Florida or UCF, UCF. Uh, Houston, Cincinnati, and BYU. BYU, thank you. I mean, how does that play out? I think that'll be interesting too. So that's another I think inter- interesting storyline for me is like. Which of Baylor, Iowa State, Oklahoma kind of rebounds the best next year? Yeah, and especially with uh, with Baylor, they got um, – I didn't realize this, they play Utah next year in Waco, where Oklahoma – get this for their uh, non-con. Arkansas State. Love it. SMU. Start. At Tulsa. Oof. Non-con. God. Not Tulsa. Tough. Well, again, in fairness to Oklahoma, I'm pretty sure Georgia was the one that canceled yes. that game, yes. right? It was, this was supposed to be Oklahoma-Georgia, mm-hmm. but the SEC made Georgia or made both teams uh, cancel yes. this game. Um, I would have said, Oklahoma, why don't you go play UCLA or why don't you go play Michigan, who also had to cancel their season but or uh, you know their series next year. But regardless, Oklahoma should get some <laughs> wins. Should get some wins in the non-con. They, 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 they went 3-0 in the non-conference uh, a season sure ago. Yeah. Any uh, anything else in the Big Twelve before we move on to the conference where it, it just it just means more? <laughs> uh, no, I I think uh, we pretty much have hit everything we can uh, on the Big Twelve. I think it's going to be a fun, a super fun conference again this year, especially with the four teams that they're adding. Yeah, um, I'm just interested to see they still haven't released the schedules for next year. Those are supposed to be coming out, I think, in the next month or so. 
So I'm going to be intrigued to see what the matchup's there. But no, I'm ready to talk uh, about the conference that means more. And boy, do I know it. Living here in Tennessee, you don't hear anything uh, about the SEC. No, I'm just kidding. That's crazy. Oh, my goodness. Can't even believe If anything, that. you don't hear about any of the other conferences. <laughs> All right. Our, our last conference in our season in review series, the Southeastern Conference, home of the two-time defending national champion, Georgia Bulldogs, the Alabama Crimson Tide, Tennessee, uh, LSU, um, and obviously all of the rest. Plenty of ups, plenty of downs in this conference. There were there were some interesting surprises. I think it, I, I think when I was looking at the Big Twelve earlier today, I was like, I think Lucas and I are going to have a lot of the same answers. You know, biggest surprise, disappointment, you know, whatever. The in the SEC, I, I really think there are a multitude of ways that we, you you could go. Um, yeah. So let's let's start with biggest positive surprise, and I will uh, I will let you go first. Your biggest positive surprise team in 2022. Oh well, I'm going to go with the with the state that I reside in, and that is the University of Tennessee. I think look, expectations were pretty high coming into the season. I feel like for the balls, the expectation was they probably there's probably a good chance they should be the number two team in the East, or at least battling as the number two team. I think we were both high with the job that Josh Heupel had done um, the year before. You know, Hendon Hooker, I think, was maybe arguably one of the more exciting college quarterbacks uh, coming back for this upcoming season. And, man, did they did not disappoint. One, they broke their 15-year losing streak to Alabama in what I thought was maybe, you could argue, was the best game of the regular season. Yeah. Um, you know, Hennon Hooker was a surefire Heisman candidate. You know, they did lose the games to Georgia and South Carolina. But then they go and they have an awesome, they absolutely kicked the crap out of Clemson uh, in what was literally the Orange Bowl um, with both of those teams. It was literally <laughs> the Orange Bowl. Um, but I think, and they also had a nice win early on in the season uh, against Pitt. So I think for them, I think, just where they're at as a program under Hypel, I don't think any one, me and you were not super high on the Hypel hire. We thought it was kind of their plan B or C candidate. Um, when I, uh, what's their, what's their eighties name? Um, came over from, from UCF white. I know it's his last name, but I can't Danny white. First. Danny white. When he came over yeah. from UCF, um, thought that was maybe kind of a, a safe pick for them, but they've been fantastic. Tennessee, it has been fun again, just living in the state, um, just talking to fans. They're like, it's just so much fun to just at least have something to talk about that's positive, especially because the Pruitt thing was a disaster. And we thought, you know, all the sanctions was anyone going to want this job? Are they going to be able to feel the roster? But, you know, Tennessee, and I think the outlook for them, they got a five-star quarterback coming in. I'll let you pronounce his name because I'm still having issues uh, I think it's Nico, Nico. Eomayaloa. Loa, something. We'll I know it's Nico. Nico. Yeah, we'll just call him Nico. Um, but uh, yeah, him and his like $8 million NIL deal brought him to Knoxville. But um, no, I think Tennessee for me um, is probably number one. But I, I think I know who you might be saying for yours. If, 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 if Tennessee wasn't your top pick, I think I know. Yeah. So I think there are two pretty obvious ones, Tennessee. And then I'll say LSU um, would have been my, what is going to be my pick. I wasn't very high on LSU. Um, They lost a lot. Um, I think Brian Kelly is a really good coach. I was not really high on Jane Daniels as a starting quarterback. Uh, They lose the opener to Florida state in the Superdome. Um, 
they lose Mason Smith, who was projected to be their probably their best defensive player, mm-hmm. their defensive tackle to a torn ACL in that game. And what do they do? They go out and they win the West in the first in their in their first year. Uh, they beat Alabama at home. Wasn't pretty at times. The offense was very inconsistent, especially through the air. Um, there was some drama with some of their receivers at various points, not getting the ball enough with Kayshawn Booty. Um, the defense, I mean, they had so many transfers making big time, um, playing big time action for them, especially on defense in the secondary. They had two freshman tackles uh, on the offensive line. They couldn't, they struggled to run the ball consistently, but they look up and they're in Atlanta playing for, for the first time in a couple of years for the SEC championship. Now they, they lose to Georgia. They absolutely wreck Purdue in the, uh, in the Citrus Bowl. So they, you know, listen, Brian Kelly won 10 games in his first year with Jane Daniels as starting quarterback. You know, you beat Alabama, uh, you beat Auburn, you beat Florida. Like that's pretty d- damn good for year one with Brian Kelly. And, the funny thing is, I mean, they're going into next season. This was a year, by the way, where Alabama was bringing back Bryce Young, bringing back Will Anderson, like two probably top five picks in the draft this year. Um, it's looking like LSU will go into next season as the favorite in the yeah. SEC West. Jane Daniels is back. They lose Kayshawn Booty to the draft, but Mason Smith will be back. They added a top 10 recruiting class. Um, been one of the top teams in the transfer portal. So Brian Kelly winning the SEC West in year one, um, because as much as it kind of pains me to say that, um, I give them as my biggest positive surprise. Yeah, I, that was going to be yeah my second one. That's why I figured that was going to be the one you were picking. And you mentioned kind of their outlook for this year. I mean, you mentioned you know Mike Smith, a lot of or Mason Smith. They're also a returning you know Harold Perkins Jr., who was just oh, unbelievably good as a freshman this year at linebacker. Um, that defense is going to be stacked because a lot we were high on their defensive line, their front seven last season, and they're bringing the majority of those guys back. Um, once again, even like Makai uh, uh, Wingo, um, uh, a- among others, um, and pretty much everyone on that wide receiver crew. You think Jaden Daniels with him coming back as well, year two in that in that system uh, should only improve. And I think that was the thing that shocked me when they beat Alabama. It wasn't like this was, you know, Brian Kelly's third or fourth year saying like, Hey, we finally arrived. This is year one for him. And we know how good of a coach Brian Kelly is. So I just think as an LSU fan, you're, you're extremely excited. Like, Oh, we got 10 years in year one. Um, The trajectory is only going to get higher year after year. So I think uh, they were a pleasant surprise, kind of an under the radar surprise. I think they didn't make a bowl game, but, uh, but Vanderbilt, I think getting two wins in the sec, they broke their streak. I think it was like 20 some, or it was like 19 or 20, some straight sec losses. Um, But they go, you know, they start off the year three and O or four and O or Three and zero, excuse me, um, yep. but then get some nice wins um, against uh, against Florida, knocking them off for the first time uh, in almost a decade. So I think a good good second year too for uh, for Clark Lee there at at Vanderbilt. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll touch on another coach in year two. I'll t- I'll go South Carolina, uh, hmm. eight and four in the regular season, wins over Clemson and Tennessee and Texas A and M and Kentucky. 
Um, Shane Beamer seemingly has some things going, and I don't think I was too high on that high when it happened. Um, I thought some of the antics in the offseason were kind of weird. He he's kind of seemed as the coach that was trying to do a little bit too much to like be cool. Um, but sure enough, I mean, it, it, his team responded. Spencer um, Spencer Rattler was was really good for them, um, and the defense was solid. They scored sixty three points on Tennessee. Some weird losses in there that I think they'll look back on and be like, mm. you know, they lost thirty eight to six at Florida. They lost twenty three ten at home to Missouri. You win one of those games, you're in, you're you're at nine and three. I think your mm-hmm. outlook's a little different. So, um, I will I'll touch on uh, South Carolina as well, and then I mean obviously Vanderbilt, um, two wins in the SEC, um, really solid showing for Clark Lee's team. Uh, all right. Uh, biggest disappointment. I mean, I, they're really, I, it's just really hard to find one. I'm trying, I was scrolling through, I don't know what team was hyped, maybe like a top 15 team, maybe residing in Texas, like the Houston area. I don't know. Is there, I mean, who, who did you go for most disappointing? I was just stumped here. Uh, that was tough. Um, I mean, I Alabama lost, I mean, Alabama yeah. went 10 and two in the regular season. Like you could say Bama, maybe Bama, like Georgia yeah, maybe, maybe wasn't as good as last year. Like, Amen, uh, baby. A- <laughs> oh yeah, AM. That's country, let's ride. Their season was so uh so forgettable that it just kind of slipped in my mind. So one of the most disappointing teams in the country. I mean, the most disappointing team in the country. Is that fair to say? It's fair to say. I think I mean, like we really don't want our friend Blaine to listen to this podcast no, at all. Blaine should we? just turn the pod off now for <laughs> Um, number one recruiting class. We said it in the preseason. Every single number one recruiting class has won a national championship. And we sat here in July and said, if they want to get there, it's not going to happen this year, mm-hmm. most likely, right? But to be on track, you probably have to have a season like Tennessee did, right? 10 and 2 yeah. in the regular season, 9 and 3, maybe a season like LSU and go to a, either a New Year's Six Bowl or just a tier below it. They didn't go to any bowl. They went 5 and 7. It's very hard to do, very hard to, to, um, to miss a bowl game here, this this in in this era of college football, um, they scored 191 points. They were one of four, one of five um, teams to score under 200 points in in conference. Um, this was a team that was marred by dysfunction on and off the field. They looked poorly coached on the field. You had suspensions off the field. They had 25 players transfer out, I believe, in this cycle, including seven members of that number one ranked 2022 recruiting class. Mm-hmm. So almost like a fourth of that class is gone, including like Denver Harris, Anthony Lucas, Chris Marshall. Um, they were they were able to keep Evan Stewart. Um, they they kept some of some of the studs along that defensive line. Um, a really weird season in college station. Oh, by the way, they hired Bobby Petrino to be the offensive coordinator, <laughs> DJ Durkin, the defensive coordinator. They just oh. have one of the least likable programs in the entire country. It's just, it's something just stinks really bad in A&M or at, in college station at A&M. Um, it's a fascinating case study. The, like the, the, the articles that were written about just what went wrong this like chronic like chronicling the dysfunction all season where it was really entertaining for me to read. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think there are some other teams you could point to as disappointing, but for a team that hyped top 15 team 
um, to miss a bowl game and to just look that lethargic. You lose to App State. They just uh, not competitive in a lot of these no. games. So they, well, it just it just boggles my mind. Like Jimbo, you know, his whole thing was coming in was he was this offensive guy. You know, he got he developed Jameis Winston and you know numerous other quarterbacks in the NFL. And whenever he was questioned about his offense, it was some excuse. It wasn't, oh, we're just not executing. It's not the play calling. It's not that our system is overly complicated for our players to, to bring in. It was, he always kind of deflected attention. I mean, for God's sakes, they, they scored uh, 17 points against Miami. Miami the next week gave up 45 to Middle Tennessee State um, at home. They scored 20 points against UMass. One of, if not the worst team in FBS. That that um, that UMass game, just like the scenery around that game, I think it was like the second to last week of the season, like just dreadful. Now the next week they come back, they beat LSU and kind of ruin LSU season. But yeah, um, yeah, no, it it was bad. I mean, you can look back at that. What was that six game losing streak? They lost. I think four out of those games were by one possession. So. Yeah. If you're looking at it as a half glass full, like if you're an A&M fan, you can look at like, hey, like a couple plays here and there. Maybe maybe instead of going, you know, five and seven, maybe we're seven and five or eight and four yeah. and we make that season somewhat salvageable. But I mean, that that buyout's not getting any cheaper uh, anytime soon down there. And look, by Vitrino, for as much as we kind of kind of crapped on that hire, yes, it's kind of greasy and disgusting but the dude can coach football everywhere he goes he puts together top tier offenses so maybe it works out maybe it doesn't but yeah clearly a hugely disappointing team and one that they're, they're going to be on the microscope once again this season the question of the buyout was interesting to me because to me everyone said well he's got 87 million dollars or whatever it was left and you, you know you just can't do that and i go it's it's really a matter of 10 million dollars because if they have another season like they did last year, mm-hmm. you have to fire him. Yeah. So you really say, I mean, you, I'm not going to say $10 million is chump change, but do you see Texas A&M hanging on a Jimbo for four or five more years? Like if they don't reach the SEC title game or something like, no. So like, it's, it's really a matter of how long and how bad do you expect this to be? I don't think they're going to be very good next year. I mean, I, I, I haven't done too much roster analysis, but they lost. They've they lost a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. Um, and Connor Wignum, maybe he's the answer at quarterback. I think he flashed a little bit at the end of the season. Really highly rated player in their twenty twenty two class. But Jimbo really hasn't developed a great college quarterback. I mean, Kellamon was okay for them, but not since Jameis. So like, yeah. I don't know if I trust Jimbo to develop quarterbacks anymore. Not in today's college football. Maybe that no. changes with Bobby Petrino, but I don't know. No, it just it just seems like he's still trying to run the offense that won him a national title in 2013, 10 years later, when clearly uh, it's a bit, uh, it's uh, a few steps behind the eight ball um, now, but who knows? Like we said, him hiring Bobby Trino, that could be him finally lowering his ego. Cause I- I'm pretty sure Bobby Trino is not going to be an offensive coordinator there and have Jimbo in his face telling him what to call. Um that just doesn't seem like the type of coach that Bobby Petrino is, but yeah, um, you know, we'll see. Uh, another team that I think will be interesting going next year, I think kind of had a disappointing season too, was was Arkansas. 
Um, I yeah. think not that we had hugely high expectations for them, but you know, this was a, a program that seemed like it was heading in the right direction in year three under, under Sam Pittman. They won nine games last year. They had to replace a ton on, on defense last year, but we're returning a, a pretty damn good offense. And it was a team that just towards the end of the season looked like they were, they were just kind of done. Um, if I'm being, if I'm being honest and, you know, you look at, you know, they had nice wins over Cincinnati early in the year, but then, you know, then they're losing games. They get, they lose to Liberty um, at home. They get blown out by Mississippi state uh, towards the end of the year. They almost blow it. Like a, I think they had a 25 point lead in their bowl game against Kansas. Um, they almost blow that. Now they lost, you know, Barry Odom, uh, their defensive coordinator leaves, take the head coaching job at UNLV. Kendall Bryles, Kendall Bryles. also yep. leaves too. Um, they hired Dan Enos um, to replace him, who's going to run a little bit more of a pro style kind of system of offense. So I think it's intriguing. You know, three years ago, I think if you would have said, "Hey, by year three, Sam Pittman, you're going to be seven six in bowling in uh, back to back years," I think they'd take that. But I think there's a. I don't think he's under any pressure to lose his job anytime soon. But I. I think the shine is wearing off just a little bit. And they had some guys, uh, you know, transfer this offseason. They had some off-the-field issues. Um, so I'm intrigued to see how Arkansas kind of bounces back from a slightly disappointing year. Yeah, Bud Elliott on cover three calls this job a, a paycheck job. Really hard to win. Fan expectations are a little out of whack, but you're going to make a lot of money in the three to five years that you're there. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is what it is. I mean, Pittman was so darn good that first year. Um, he, he kind of reset expectations for himself and, and because you're right. I, I thought they, they took uh, a step back. Now they will get KJ Jefferson back. They're going to get their top running back back as well, but replacing two coordinators. And I mean, listen, we saw this a little bit with Brian Harson last year, where you lose a coordinator to like a seemingly step down job, right. In air quotes. And it's weird to call TCU a step down job, but like Arkansas could have paid him whatever yeah. he wanted to stay. Right. Mm-hmm. So this was Kendall Bryle saying like, I want to get out of here before maybe this regime gets fired or, or I take the fall for something. Um, another team I wanted to touch on is Florida. I don't know what I expected in Billy Napier's first season. It was such a weird season, right? They get the big win against Utah week one. They kind of lay an egg against Kentucky the next week. You lose to Tennessee. I mean, the losses, with the exception of Vanderbilt, are all very understandable, right? An early yeah. season loss to Kentucky, a loss at Tennessee, a loss to LSU, a loss to Georgia. But then, like, the way they ended the season, I mean, you beat Texas A&M on the road. You beat South Carolina. You're 6-4. and four, You blow both those teams out. But then you lose at Vanderbilt, and you lose at Florida State. And then you go, to the, um, you go to, the, to, the, to the Vegas Bowl. You get shellacked by Oregon State. You need a late field goal to keep your, your non-shutout streak alive. And then everything that's happened since with the Jaden Rashada saga and, and all that, all those issues. And they dropped another quarterback in their class for, you know, using like racial slurs when he was singing a song, just like weird stuff going on with Billy. Oh, another one out for child porn too. Yeah. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. Not John Kittness son, like son, yeah. suspended for child pornography chart, like just weird stuff happening at Florida. They finished the year six and seven. My thing was like, you fire Dan Mullen for not recruiting at the level that Nick Saban and Kirby Smart were. And then Florida basically recruits at the same level they did in Dan Mullen's last full class. 
Like, what are we doing here? I mean, you have an army of assistants, you have an army of analysts, and you lose to Vanderbilt on the road. You score 16 points against Kentucky. You know, you you give up 45 at home to LSU. You give up 45 to Florida State. Like, I don't know. It's it's very interesting. Anthony Richardson declares for the draft. They get Graham Mertz from Wisconsin, who seemingly is now going to be the the bona fide starter. I don't think Florida fans are very happy about that, but like, at least you got a guy with some experience. Um, we this could be one of those spots where you look back on, kind of like where Oregon is with Justin Herbert. Like, if Anthony Richardson hits in the NFL, there are going to be all these pieces of like, how the hell does Florida not win more with Anthony Richardson kind of stuff? So yeah, uh, Florida just kind of a weird year for me. I, I kind of had them as well as a bit of a disappointment. Uh, Kentucky as well, seven and six, three and five in the conference. It seems like. When you have a top five projected quarterback, you got to be a little bit better than that. Um, Auburn five and seven as well fires uh, fires Brian Harson. I I kind of wasn't too high in Auburn, but uh, yeah. Any more disappointments you want to talk about before we get to coaching? Yeah, the only disappointment I love that you uh, recapped. You know, Florida being six and four. I had uh, Florida win totals. I had them over. I took the over at seven. Six and four. I'm feeling pretty good. Hey, at least worst case. Vanderbilt, right? Push. Yeah. Vanderbilt, you're getting a push. Getting a push. And then they lose that game. I'm like, you son of a bitches. Like, <laughs> not happy at all. But, uh, all right. Best, uh, you, uh, let's uh, take a look at some of the best, best coaching job we saw. Um, I'm going to say Josh Heupel. Um, you touched on him quite a bit. He uh, was uh, handsomely rewarded for the season. He gets a new $9 million contract extension. We kind of joked about, um, you know, who who have you been against, Tennessee? What what school on January 25th is saying, you know what, Josh, come coach for us? It's okay. doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> Heupel, really, just the, the offense he played. I mean, he got the right quarterback. He resurrected Hendon Hooker's career. Um, Jalen Hyatt, one of the best receivers in the country. They gave Georgia all they could. Um, they beat Alabama. You beat Clemson. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of touch on a lot of what you said earlier, but year two for Heupel to go to a New Year's Six Bowl to really establish itself as the number two team in that division behind Georgia. Now, the gap is is considerable. Uh, Georgia yeah. hasn't lost a regular season game in you know two years, but I think certainly, you know, you'll you'll get Georgia at home next year. Um, you get Florida early in the season. I think Tennessee is set up. I mean, we talked about Nico. A lot of people really, really like him as being one mm-hmm. of the most gifted quarterbacks in this class. A guy that will likely come in and start right away or at least compete with Joe Milton. And Joe Milton looked good in the last couple of games. He looked did. good in the bowl game. Um, looked good against Vanderbilt. So I think Tennessee is on the upswing. I think they start the year clearly the number two team in the SEC. And, and really, depending on what happens with Georgia, Tetson Bennett's gone. Um, maybe they lose Todd Munkin to an NFL OC job or, you know, something. So I think, I think Tennessee should have set up really well for next year. No, I agree. I think Tennessee, I think you mentioned, uh, uh, kind of like, uh, for best coaching jobs as well. I think I'm going to go as, uh, we mentioned Tennessee. I'm going to go with another team you mentioned with South Carolina with Shane Beamer. Just the fact that towards the end of the year, you beat Tennessee, crushed them at home. And to beat Clemson for the first time, I don't know the last time that uh, South Carolina upset Clemson. I'm assuming it was when probably when Steve Spurrier uh, was there as head coach. But 
I think South Carolina, a program that we don't really know or don't really have super high expectations. Um, just the fact that they've gotten buzz. They also had, I think, like a top 15 recruiting class coming in, um, returned just about every, uh, a good chunk of guys on that offensive side of the ball. Um, so I think just a really nice way to, to kind of um, end that year. They lost also in a close game in the bowl game to Notre Dame. Um, so I think Shane Beamer did a, um, did a tremendous job as well. Yeah, uh, Clark Lee as well, winning five games in year two uh, at Vanderbilt. I would give him an honorable mention. And Mike Leach going eight and four, and and you know, sure. rest in peace to the Pirate. Uh, Mississippi mm-hmm. State wins nine games. They uh, they win the bowl game over Illinois. Uh, Mike Leach finishes tied for third in that division. I think and really has established himself. Mississippi State is one of the, at least one of the middle class um, of that conference as well. So, um, all right, looking ahead to twenty twenty three. Um, we've got Georgia, two-time national champion. We've got several intriguing teams in the SEC West with LSU, Bama, A&M. Hugh Freeze's first year at Auburn. Um, what are some things you're keeping an eye on this this offseason in the SEC? I think for me, it's I think Alabama. I think it's one we already talked about. You know, who are they going to hire at offensive coordinator? Who's going to play quarterback for them? Uh, they're going to have like two or three guys um, play, or, uh, competing for that job. And also, is was this kind of a flash in the pan the last time they missed the playoff? I think they believe they won the national title the next season. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, with Mac Jones. So um, was this year, once again, kind of a flash in the pan and they get back to it? Or do we see, I don't know. The, remember the last time that Alabama lost the SEC West in back-to-back years? Um, under Nick Saban, so boy, that, yeah, that that's tough. That's a that's a that's a really good question. Uh, it might be when he first took over, but I, I'm really intrigued to see what they do this offseason. They have the number one recruiting class in the country coming in, uh, highlighted by like seven uh, seven five star guys. Um, so to me, it's it's Alabama because right now I don't know who is going to be challenging Georgia if Alabama's not back up to their standard. I don't know who else is going to be challenging because I think there's there's going to be good teams in this league, but I think there's going to be a significant gap between Georgia and everybody else heading into next season. Yeah, and you know I think similar questions you have with Alabama, you could have with Georgia. I mean, who's who's going to be the quarterback? Brock Vandergriff, I think, is kind of the inside track. He's I think he'll be a third year player, second or third year player, um, former five star quarterback, um, but. Georgia has really had an unprecedented run um, for a non-Alabama team. Back-to-back national championships, one loss over the last two years, only to Alabama, which they avenged in the title game last year. Um, Eventually, some teams you kind of have to regress, but we haven't seen a team win three national championships like like ever in like the modern college football. It just doesn't happen. Um, I wouldn't expect Georgia to do so, but – at this point, I don't know how you don't consider them the clear favorite in the SEC. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to go to Knoxville next year, which will be a, certainly a, a challenge for them. I, I, I haven't looked at their. I think they get Mississippi State and Auburn, or Ole, I think they get. No, I think they get Ole Miss and Auburn as the cross divisional games. We talked about their non conference schedule. It's going to be a breeze. Vandergriff or whoever the quarterback is will have plenty of time to kind of ease into that role. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm definitely interested to see does Georgia take a step back at all, and I guess for them a step back is do they lose a game? Um, 
Missouri, Eli Drinkowicz is going into year three. Um, had a little bit of momentum during the COVID season when he went five and five. This year felt like a bit of a step back slash non-step forward year. They go six and seven. Um, who's the quarterback? Is it, you know, Sam Horn, who was a four-star kid they got in the, the last class? Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what's the temperature there. And then Hugh Freeze back in the league, right? I mean, so much success at Ole Miss. Basically banned from the league for a handful of years. Had a lot of success at Liberty the last couple of years, and now is back at Auburn. That's a team that constantly gave Alabama problems when he was at mm-hmm. Ole Miss and, and one of the only – guys in the league to win multiple games against Nick Saban, him and ironically, you know, Gene, um, Gus Malzahn, who was two coaches ago at Auburn. Um, and then, you know, A&M, like A&M, what happens there? It's one of the biggest dramas in college football. You know, um, they have to go at Miami next year. Boy, that will be a fascinating non-conference game. Right? <laughs> A&M and Miami. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, probably like, like week two or week three down oh. there in at Hard Rock Stadium, there'll be like 45 fans probably. Like, it's just going to be be blistering hot. I'll probably be like a noon ABC game. That'll be the excuse. It was blistering hot, so everyone yeah. went to the beach. And so, yeah. Um, but, like, what do we get from A&M? Because uh, it, it could go really good, and they turn things around. They're, they're, they're this year's LSU, maybe. They, they win the SEC West, or they win nine or ten games. Or this could be like a Jimbo's gone by the mid by Halloween. And this is over. They or they fire the DC or whatever it is, and and you have more locker room incidents, and you have uncertainty at quarterback and bad offense. I mean, they're like the range for A and M is so wide that I, I think they are a fascinating team to watch in twenty twenty three. Watch them be completely uninteresting. They just finished like eight and four. <laughs> it's a solid eight and four. Like they lose all the games they're supposed to. They win all the games they're supposed to. They're basically what, right back to where they were when they fired Kevin Sumlin. And it would be yeah. considered a success. It, it might be considered a successful year because they improved from the previous season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else in the SEC before we, uh, before, before we wrap up, bud? Uh, not, I don't think anything. I think we pretty much hit it on it all. I think obviously there's going to be more and more storylines as we count, you know, with like you mentioned spring football down here, uh, I believe usually starts end of February, early March. So we're, not too far. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of storylines coming out of there. And we also have signing day next week, uh, yeah. which might change um, with, I know there's still some big, uh, big time prospects, especially like Nicholas Harbor, who could go to like, we were talking about South Carolina right now. I think they're the prohibitive fair or prohibitive favorite to land yeah. him. He's one of the few five stars that are still left. So um, even just by next week, we could have different outlooks on some of these teams. Yep. It'll be it'll be fascinating, man. That this basically caps our season in review, and uh, we'll have some fun off season content here. We'll be back probably the first week in February, uh, maybe looking at some coaching carousel stuff, maybe doing some some fun games as we kind of we'll 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 fill our time with a couple episodes uh, each of the next couple of months. So uh, you can follow the podcast on Twitter at Running for Roses. Um, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast wherever you listen to podcasts uh, for lucas Rody, i'm ryan baffle lucas thanks everyone for tuning in have a great night stay frosty